The Duly Noted Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's. Satisfy your craving for hand-breaded chicken and fresh-made salads. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or order online at zaxby's.com forward slash podcast. And by Vistar Credit Union with locations across Gator Country. Visit vistarcu.org and also ABC Fine Wine and Spirits. ABC Always Be Celebrating. This is Dooley Noted, everything Florida Gators, with your host, Pat Dooley. Okay, welcome into another Dooley Noted podcast, and I say that another with emphasis because it, boy, it just feels like I do a lot of podcasts. Two a week during football season, uh, not going to say it takes a toll on you, but it's just trying to come up with stuff to say, and s- stuff to say then on the column, and stuff to say on the Swampcast, and all that but you know what? Somehow, I always find something new to say or something interesting, hopefully, that you guys like. And judging by the numbers, yeah, people seem to like this podcast, and I appreciate it. I, Like I've said many times, I appreciate everybody who clicks on, everybody who downloads it, and um, the responses I get. So we'll keep them going. Uh, next week will only be one. Next week is uh, Tuesday. We'll do the uh, follow-up podcast, and then I'm actually going to Charleston for the basketball uh, for the Friday and Sunday games of the basketball. Um, it's not really a tournament. It's a extravaganza, I guess you would say. So, um, And then we'll be back with two more for FSU week. Can't believe it's all – I can't believe Missouri's are already here. And the funny thing is, and I, t- I wrote about this a little bit in, in Thursday's paper, you know, this is the, the latest they've ever played Missouri, and, and it's going to be the coldest it's ever been for Missouri. I was actually trying – to go back and look and see where this game ranked among the coldest in Florida history. And unfortunately, you can't – you can only go back so far. But it's the coldest one they've played at least since 95. That's as far back as I could, I could find it. 90, 95, that game against uh, South Carolina, it was windy and cold. And Jerry Spurrier said it was the coldest she's ever been in a football game. The coldest I've ever been in a football game was the Ron Zook uh, when they – and I say Ron Zook, he played for Miami of Ohio when they beat Florida in the Tangerine Bowl, which was moved to Gainesville because that's the only way Florida would agree to play in it. You play it in Gainesville, we'll find it, – how'd that work out for you? Lost 16-7. to seven. It was literally in the t- 10s or 20s. I, I don't remember that. But this, 41 degrees at kickoff, is as cold as Florida's played in a long time. How they deal with it, we'll see. I know there's a lot of people who are worried because Florida guys going up to play in a place like Missouri when it's cold and it's not going to be a great crowd. Uh, We're going to have Eric Blum up uh, a little bit later from the Columbia paper who's going to talk about the atmosphere and what what to expect up there. But it's not going to be a a great crowd. And I don't think crowds had anything to do with why Florida struggled. I I talked about this. Florida's lack of offense has been the biggest reason they've struggled in this game while they've lost four of the last six even when they've won they haven't done a whole lot uh, offensively so you remember the the tees Tabor pick six game where they won 21 to 7 that was um i think it was 21 7 21 6 maybe anyway they scored 21 and one of the touchdowns was on offense that was will greer's last game nobody knew it at the time it was it was not a pleasant game to be at because believe it or not I was uh, 
I had a MRSA infection and didn't know it until I got back uh, to the uh, to Gainesville and went to a doctor, and my doctor did a great job in uh, taking care of me. But it was yeah, it was a very uncomfortable game to say the least. It was right on the back of my leg. Um, so anyway, enough about me. And I know some of you don't like to hear me talk about me, but it's my podcast, right? Well, technically, it's the Gainesville Suns pocket. So let's talk about the Gainesville Sun for a while. Let's talk about the fact they're sending me up into 41-degree weather to cover a football game. But uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how Florida plays. You know, I'm not – look, we talk about this all the time. It's – this league is not the greatest. It's not – like, if you were going to say, I'm going to take – I'm going to find a league, and I'm going to go to every place, every stadium, and the SEC wouldn't be your first choice. You know, you got to go to Fayetteville, you got to go to Starkville, you got to go to Oxford's actually a nice little town, but you can't stay there. You got to go to Missouri, you got to go to Columbia, which is, and it's just a bad trip. But um, that, who cares? You don't care. I know you don't care. I, I, I understand you don't care. Move on, Pat. Quit talking about it. And let's move on to the game. Okay, here's the deal Kelly Bryant's supposed to play. He took all the reps this week. He didn't play last week. They were awful. They scored zero points. They scored the same number of points as I did. Uh, he got hurt in the Kentucky game. Uh, it's a hamstring. It'll be interesting to see, though, how much he runs around with that hamstring, whether they're afraid he'll do it again. It's cold. I think I've mentioned that. Um, is he more of a pocket passer in this game, or does he scramble and say, look, I'm letting it all lay out in the line. Uh, that's going to be um, part of the equation. For the year, he completed 62% of his passes, but he hadn't been good throwing the ball down down the field, which was one reason that they made the move to Trevor Lawrence at Clemson. Is He wasn't that guy that we talked about this on the Tuesday podcast that Tua Tangovola was. He wasn't that guy, and they needed that guy to win to beat Alabama. They could see that. They knew they needed that kind of a player. Kelly Bryant wasn't going to be the guy to do it. So he comes to to um, Missouri. We actually uh, got to talk to him a lot at uh, SEC Media Day. He's a great guy and really liked it there. I think he liked the fact that nobody was getting in the transfer portal, even though those they were going to have no bowl eligibility. They did have the appeal, and they still have the appeal. And as I'm recording this, who knows if they're going to? it's going to come out this afternoon. I don't know. But it, it, that is another story we'll talk to Eric about. It's an amazing story that they still don't know whether they're going to be bowl eligible or not. And here's the other thing. They don't know if they're going to be bowl eligible anyway because they've still got games to play and obviously one of them against Florida. One thing about Kelly Bryant, he has taken 16 sacks this year. That's an interesting stat. I got a lot of stats for you today, I, I a lot of numbers. And I got two of the craziest stats I'm gonna, I can ever give you. Not, uh, one of them's crazy. The other one I'm not so sure about. Um, so we'll talk about all this and more. But first, we have to take our break, as we always do early in the podcast. Thank you so much for supporting our sponsors. You're listening to the Duly Noted Podcast at Gatorsports.com. Zaxby's Famous Chicken Fingers Wings and Salads. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today. At ViStar, we believe in better. Better convenience. So members can bank any way they want. Whether it's at a branch, on a mobile device, or at one of more than 20,000 fee-free ATMs across North America. We believe that people have better things to do with their time. If you believe that convenience is better, 
Join ViStar. We never forget that it's your money. All loans subject to approval, insured by NCUA. Okay, welcome back to the podcast, and uh, let's talk about the offense at uh, Missouri. Hasn't been great this year. You know, Larry Roundtree's been okay, 668 yards, three touchdowns. Um, but they have not generated a ton of offense. They're 71st in the country in offense, 86th on third downs. Now, we talked about Vanderbilt last week being like 100 and what were they, 124th or something, I think it was. And that was a, one reason I didn't worry too much about the Vanderbilt game for Florida. I thought Florida would be just fine, especially because they were down to their third-string quarterback. That game was not one to fret about. Uh, this one's still a game to fret about. There's no question about it. But they have not been good on offense, and they've been especially bad on the road. But again, this is the weirdest team in college football. I mean, I've seen teams go undefeated at home and lose a bunch of games on the road. But just with the eyeballs to watch this team play on the on the road and at home, it's like two different teams. And I'm not sure why. Uh, they are good defensively. They lost, and we're going to talk to again to Eric about this, but they lost their best player on defense, and they haven't really missed a beat. I know they lost last week 27 nothing to Georgia, but there's not real a lot of shame in giving up 27 to Georgia. Um, they just couldn't generate anything offensively. And you hope, if you're Florida, that you can get Kelly Bryant out of the game. If you know you don't root for injuries, but if he can get him out of the game or keep him contained so that he can't do anything you know this doesn't seem like it's an offense that is conducive with with the personnel they have to to put up a lot of points but I, then you go back to that game last year you know we're kind of making fun of uh Vince Dooley's kid as a coordinator and he lights the Gators up now he had Drew Locke that was a different story different quarterback but defensively Missouri is pretty good they have the number one pass defense in the country in terms of statistics. They're to- they're tenth in total defense. They don't get a lot of sacks though, which is an interesting set. For example, Florida has thirty five sacks on the year, and we've seen Florida's pass rush be good and really good. It got that ten sack boost in the opener, and that didn't hurt. And then we've seen them not be able to get pressure at, at LSU and against Georgia. Missouri has 14 sacks all year. But they, what they do is they play a lot of coverage and they and they count on their secondary to, to make big plays and do the things that they need necessary to do. Um, so, you know, that's going to be the thing. We're, Florida's going to have to be patient. And I know you're probably saying, I'm tired of them being patient. I think they need to go deep more often or do the – I think they're just going to have to grind it out the same way they grind it out in games like the Georgia game and and, and, uh, South Carolina and uh, the Vandy game where you've got the biggest play of the game. Now, everybody's going to say the Grenard return. The Grenard return put the game away. But the the play that made everybody kind of go, oh, this game's over, was the Trevon Grimes catch and stiff arm and run. And that wasn't designed to go, what did it go, 66 yards? That wasn't designed for that. But when special players make special plays, that's what you got to have. To be a good offense, guys have to make plays, not just within the offense, not just within what the play is designed to do, but outside of that. 
make a guy miss. You know, you go back to the LaMichael P. Ryan run against Auburn. Was that a great play call? Not necessarily. It was a guy right in the hole. Had a chance to stop him for a one-yard gain. Broke the tackle. Gets outside. Oh, now it's going to be a nice gain. Oh, stiff arm's a guy. Now he's gone. So he made two really nice plays to make that touchdown happen. You need more of that with this offense, and I think the Florida has the players to do it. They've got to do it a little more often. But we go back to this. I, you know, I talked. I used to talk about this all the time with the basketball team with Billy Donovan. That you know, in two thousand, say eight and nine, when they weren't very good after winning back-to-back national championships, and even on into the next few years, and maybe even today. A team that lines up to play against Florida in basketball isn't playing against this team. They're playing against the 04s. They're playing against 06 and 07 national championships. That's what happens when you win like that and you are the talk of the town and everybody are, is freaking out or you may be one of the best teams ever play the game. You're always playing against, uh, you know, you're always defending that championship. Coaches hate to hear that. They don't like to defend it from one year to the next. Billy used to say, we're not defending anything. They had the whole team back. They weren't defending anything. But that's the way it is for Florida now. When they go in, up to Missouri, Missouri is going to be like, you know, this ha- season hasn't been great. What if we knock off the number 11 team in the college football playoffs and a team that's won three national championships? This is Tebow's team we're going to beat. This is Spurrier's team we're going to beat. This is Danny Werfel's team we're going to beat. This is the Percy Harvin team we're going to be. That's what it is. When when Missouri or anybody is lining up against Florida, look, they're, they, they're paying attention to the personnel. I'm not trying to say that. But they're playing against a brand. They're playing against a, not a mystique but a reputation. And that's how teams pull off upsets. It's, it's because you're playing against somebody that, hey, you know, like when App State goes to the big house and knocks off Michigan. It wasn't necessarily about – that Michigan team, although it was a little bit, it was about, hey, we're going to the big house. We're playing against a team that's legendary, but we're playing against Bo Schembechler. Anyway, that's my theory, and I'm sticking to it. Um, one other stat that I wanted to throw out there because it, I find it an inter- interesting stat. Well, actually, I'm going to give you two more stats. One is that they're, they're plus two in turnovers. They don't get a lot, but they don't lose the ball a lot on picks or – um, interceptions or fumbles. And th- this was the case with Georgia as well. They didn't do it a whole lot going into that game. Florida's still at plus four. And they they got, obviously, some turnovers, but gave up some turnovers. But when I started looking at it, I went, holy cow. I didn't, didn't even realize, because as the season goes by, sometimes you get lost in you get lost in big picture and not into the into the little picture and little things that are happening, the reasons why a team is good, bad, or indifferent. Florida has 17 turnovers this year. I said, that seems like a, an awful lot. So I checked on it. I looked it up. They're 102nd in the nation. And now I'm talking about 28 from the bottom in, in turning the ball over. And – is I, now, I, I need to go back and look at this, to be honest with you. I didn't look at it before I came in here to do the podcast. I need to go back and look and see. They weren't. I know they weren't 
that bad last year. That was the big thing was not turning the ball over that Dan Mullen was trying to stress so much. Um, so I'll go back and look at that. But 17 turnovers is a lot to still be 8-2. and two. To be 8-2 and two with 17 turnovers, there, there's probably an equation I can figure out to say, if is Florida the best team with 17 turnovers? No. Uh, the other stat is this one, long plays from scrimmage. Now, they define in, in, on this stat place that I go look, a long play as being 10 yards or more because obviously 10 yards is the first down. I define it as being something more. Um, I, I think you got it's 30 yards. Those, are, those to me are long plays from scrimmage. But Florida's 19th in long plays from scrimmage in the country of 10 yards or more, and that's, that's good. This is the offense. Look, this isn't the offense Gator fans wanted or hoped for, but it is sure as hell better than the ones they've had for the last whatever, 10 years. Like, I think they're 56th in offense with no running game. You know, no, not much of a running game to speak of, certainly, as we all know. But they're 19th in plays of, of 10 yards or more. Missouri's 69th. In plays of 30 or more, Missouri's 92nd. So they don't generate a lot of big plays either. So, look, this Missouri team is um, – they're good enough to beat Florida. You know, that, that's always what I, I try to tell. Like, Vandy was not good enough to beat Florida. You knew that going in. The only way – you would have to hand them the game, and in the first half, Florida kind of let them hang around, but then clean things up, and it was over. Tennessee Martin wasn't good enough to beat Florida. To be honest, the Tennessee team that came in to the Swamp that I thought was good enough to beat Florida, it turns out wasn't. They might be now because they're playing a lot better, and I the thing that scared you to death were those receivers they have, and they're just – they're balling out like – Nobody. Um, but Missouri is definitely, especially at home, good enough to beat Florida. They, you, you can say the last two games don't matter, and in a lot of ways they don't. But you know what? Gives them a little confidence. Florida's, is Florida going to go in there with a chip on its shoulder? The way they did against Vanderbilt, we got to get our edge back? You would think so, but it's going to be 41 degrees. And it's not going to be a huge crowd. I mean, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be, they're going to generate a lot of noise, but not the kind of noise you get in a lot of places. 11 o'clock game. Can you wake the chip up? You just got to shake it. Wake that chip up. And if, I, I, I truly believe that if Florida goes into that game and plays with relentless effort that Dan Mullen is talking about and, and is there and, wo- and, and woke, if they're woke, to use a phrase from the kids, I don't think they'll have any problem. But if they aren't, and Missouri gets ahead of them, and they start thinking, oh, no, not again to these guys. Or if they go, you know, what are we even playing for? You know, I, I don't think those attitudes prevail on the team, but you would you would hope they don't. But you've got so much to play for, and you've got a chance to do something still pretty special this season but you can't here's the bottom line you can't do it if you lose to Missouri this year if you lose to Missouri and go nine and three if you beat FSU which is not a guarantee you're going to a lesser bowl you're probably going to the Outback uh, which I I love the Outback Bowl but that's a, that's a that's a me thing but you're, you're going somewhere like that and you're like eh didn't really take a step forward this year and the the thing is 
I think Dan Mullen has done a, a great job this year. Considering he lost his starting quarterback, Kyle Trask was ready, and that's on Dan Mullen. It's on Kyle Trask too, but it's on Dan Mullen that he was ready to step in. But he's lost so much else defensively. You know, this, this last game, Brett Heggie's out with a concussion. They've got to play two true freshmen on the offensive line. I think he's done a heck of a job with this team. So, um, and we'll see if that continues. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll come on. With, we'll come back. We'll come on, come on, Eileen. Oh, I swear what I mean. We will come back with Eric Blum from the Columbia Daily Tribune and talk more about the Missouri Tigers. And, uh, and then we'll take a break again. This is what we do, as you know. And we'll come back and we'll talk about the spreads, some other things that are going on in college football, games that I thought, would be big at the beginning of the season this week that are not, and three things, and a little college football playoff talk. All that coming up on the Duly Noted Podcast at Gatorsports.com. No one gets you ready to celebrate like the team at ABC Fine Wine and Spirits. You want great prices in a giant selection? They've got it. You need convenient locations, online ordering, and fast service? ABC's got you covered. Get a jump on this month's deals at abcfws.com. Visit any of their 123 Florida stores today for free samples or get expert advice from their beer, wine, or spirits experts. Don't forget a cigar in their walk-in humidor. ABC is Florida family-owned and operated since 1936. ABC. Always be celebrating. I'm your host, Pat Dooley from the Gainesville Sun and Gatorsports.com, and this is the Dooley Noted Podcast, presented by Zaxby's. Okay, welcome back to the Dooley Noted Podcast. Uh, appreciate everybody for clicking on, and appreciate our next guest, Eric Blum, who writes for the uh, Columbia Daily Tribune and covers uh, the Missouri Tigers. We wanted to get an expert's opinion on what exactly is going on there, and Eric, if you can tell us what's going on, you'll you may be the first person that... Uh, has figured out why this team is so good at home and so bad on the road. Yeah, it really is like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde kind of thing right now. I mean, at home, and, and really the win at Wyoming, or the loss of Wyoming, there's been six games this year where Missouri has done enough and looked like, at times, a top 15 team in the country and really done well. It's just some really fluky things took place in Laramie, Wyoming that caused them to lose that game. And then the five games at home, they looked really good. They killed South Carolina, ran, you know, West Virginia off the field, and won the games they're supposed to win. But then they go on the road to Vanderbilt, and none of that just translates at all. They lose to Vanderbilt, they lose at Kentucky and lose by 22, and then they have an offensive no-show against Georgia. I mean, there's been no particular reason that a player or a coach has mentioned for the nose dive. I mean, there's been theories out there as to what happened between the homecoming win and the loss in Nashville. But so far, it seems like it's just, from the players say, it's a lot of little things that have added up to be one big thing, and they just haven't diagnosed enough of them yet to win, combined with the competition they're playing. You go into Georgia, it's going to be a tough game no matter what playing right. it. Six, I mean, number five in the country right now. Uh, but when you have more people coming up that are, you know, a Florida coming, number one team coming, it's just that they've hit their tougher part of their schedule when these problems are taking place. So kind of the wrong place, wrong time for this to start happening for Missouri. You know, they lost their safety net games in Vanderbilt and Kentucky, and now they're paying the consequences for it against probably the two best teams in the SEC East against in Florida and Georgia. Yeah, I mean, uh, you and I were talking earlier. Uh, we just saw this Vanderbilt team come in here, and I'm like, 
how did anybody lose to them, let alone Missouri? Uh, that that was the stunner to me. And, and I know they lost uh, their linebacker, um, who and that's been Kill hurt. Garrett. Yeah, that's hurt their defense. But they they're still number I think number ten in the country in def, total defense. So it's not like their defense has fallen off. Uh, the offense has been a struggle, and, and Kelly Bryant, of course, has been hurt for the last game and a half. And getting him back should help, right? Yeah, you would think so. I mean, Kale Garrett was having a Buckus Award-type season. I mean, he tied Missouri's single-season record for defensive touchdowns in the season in the fifth game of the year. He had three back-to-back games with a defensive touchdown. And then in that same game against Troy, he tore his peck and was out for the year. So they've had a couple games without him, but Missouri's defense has done really has done fine. They've had a couple players who have stepped up in his absence. A freshman, Devin Nicholson, uh, Cameron Wilkins, a, a sophomore, has played a little bit, but their defense as a whole has played fine. Um, their secondary has been a, a surprise kind of cog in this wheel that have kept them going. And their safeties, both uh, Tyree Gillespie and Joshua Bledsoe, have been lights out this year. Um, and then you look at Nick Bolton, who played next to Kel Garrett at linebacker in Missouri's 4-2-5 system that he's had an all-SEC-type year as a first-year starter and kind of just been been an absolute wrecking ball almost out of nowhere. Missouri's kind of one problem that they've kind of had over the past couple weeks, and got to give credit to Kentucky's offensive line and Georgia's offensive line for this, is that they've gotten almost no pass rush on Lynn Bowden or Jake Fromm. And that's kind of allowed those quarterbacks to pick apart and see where the weak spots are in Missouri's defense. Uh, defensively, though, they have some really good players like Jordan Elliott, who's a defensive tackle. I mean, they, if you take him away, the chances are do better of them winning because he is just a monster. I mean, he's a projected first-round pick in some things. I don't think he's necessarily that high, but he's definitely a really, really solid player that if he gets loose, is going to make Kyle Trask stay a lot harder on Saturday. Yeah, and the other on the other side of the ball, you know, Larry Roundtree hasn't had that great season. I think some people thought he would have. I mean, he's done well, but just not uh, over the top well. And of course, the tight end, uh, well, I'm not going to try to say his name, but uh, Albert Well, see, you've practiced it. I, <laughs> yeah. I haven't, but uh, I, I, every one of us, like I had him on my top 25 best players in the SEC. But he's what has he got? Like 22 catches this year? Yeah, yeah. Offensively, it's been. I mean, that's kind of been the crux, and a lot of the point of the finger has kind of gone to the offense over the past two weeks, and deservedly so. And Missouri had uh, 11 straight games where they scored 30 points or more, dating back to the last season of the Ole Miss game. Then against Vanderbilt, Kentucky, and Georgia combined, 21 points in the last 12 quarters. So not good, obviously. Um, And a lot of that does come to Kelly Bryant. I mean... He had six games where he played really, really well, above expectations for even the high standards that some Missouri fans set. And then, I mean, even with kind of the injuries he's had, it's just been kind of just not there the past three weeks. And not all of it falls on him. I mean, the offensive line really has not played well. I know that will heavily play to George's hand because Lee, the SEC, and Stacks, they just have so many weapons who love the pass rush. Um, the wide receivers have, have not made that many big plays over the past three weeks. There's not just hasn't been that explosiveness that you come to know from a Missouri offense with a quarterback that's trusted. And then you mentioned Roundtree, and his numbers are very similar to last year, but it's kind of taken the effect that he's never been the main guy in this offense. Mm-hmm. The past two years, it was, you know, it was, it was I think it was Ishwitter and Demaria Crockett kind of the past two years of really, you know, taking, taking the reins here and, you know, doing the yeoman's work instead of Roundtree. 
and that's what his numbers are the same, but are they the top guy numbers that maybe we expected? They're not. Uh, but Missouri also has kind of gone to a by committee stance where Tyler Beatty has taken away some of those carries, a sophomore, and then a, a junior in Dawson Downing has also kind of taken away some of those carries. Missouri likes to play all three of them. So while the expectation might be that Larry Roundtree's not having that great of a season and the offensive woes are definitely taking a toll on that, it's not like he's having a horrible season either. He definitely still has that potential. And to be honest with you, Roundtree has played much better at home, just like many Mizzou players than he has on the road. It's kind of limited last week at Georgia with a sprained toe. So we'll see how he kind of bounces back. But, yes, Albert Okuwebunam, it's kind of like the Krzyzewski of Missouri as of right now. <laughs> just Once you get it down, you say it enough times, you understand how to say it. But Alberto is going to be how uh, a lot of people say it, because, I mean, I haven't had a, heard an opposing PA announcer get it right yet this year. Uh, but th- that's okay. Uh, but but Alberto is just if you if Missouri has one weapon you take away on offense, and the defense's chances skyrocket of improving, it, you take away number eighty one. You take away Alberto, and you know Missouri just has to I guess target him and try him even if he's being double guarded, which he was a ton at Georgia, which is why he had four catches but nine targets as opposed to one target and zero catches at Kentucky. So they tried him, they went to him. And, and and still it still was not effective. I mean, he's a big red zone threat. That's where he just can get those one on one matchups and really can pick apart a defense. Uh, you know, there's there's catches he can make with his body that you just don't see every day. As good as I think Kyle Pitts is for Florida, I think if you're going head to head in the tight end matchup, Missouri has the advantage there just because of Alberto's just straight up skill set. You just do not see every day from a college tight end. So once it clicks for him. I think Missouri's offense might click uh, click along with it. Let me ask you this, because obviously we know it's going to be cold up there, 41 at game time, according to my app anyway. Uh, it's an 11 yeah. o'clock game. They're coming off a losing streak. Uh, what do you think the atmosphere – I mean, Missouri's net, not – we all know it's not Death Valley. It's not Alabama. It's not the Swamp uh, with, in terms of uh, the size of the stadium and everything. But what do you think the atmosphere is going to be like for this game with the early kickoff – the losing streak, the the weather, and all that. I think it's going to be a little bit comparable to when this team played West Virginia. Um, I don't think it's going to be near a sellout. Missouri's only sold out once this season. That was for Ole Miss for homecoming. And that was tickets sold, not actually people that showed up, because there were some seats still open in the upper deck for sure. But I still think, I mean, you're going to get over 50,000 people there. Um, throw field is definitely louder than it's been in years past, purely just based off of physics, because they have built the south end zone complex, so there's less ways for sound to get out. It's going to be louder than what they said that we saw two years ago when they're doing construction on that side of the stadium. Right, yeah, remember um, that. I, don't, I, I, I think that they're, anything that appears online, the people who are pissed and anything like that, I think those people are still outnumbered by the true sons of Missouri, by the people who still want to come and see a game. I think that it would affect other fan bases more than it would affect Missouri more so because people are used to the cold here. It's not going to drive them away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it was seven there earlier this week. So I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was walking my dog on Tuesday night when it was it was seven, but it probably felt like it was negative three, <laughs> and it was it was just like she wanted to go out and play in the sun. I'm like, I, I got to go back inside before my hands freeze. <laughs> but um, even with like heavy duty gloves on, I, I, it was awful. But um, I mean, anything other than that is going to be fine. I, I still think that it's going to be a good crowd. I think it's going to be a good atmosphere. I just don't think it's going to be one of those in completely intimidating ones like I saw last week at Sanford Stadium where it was plenty cold, but I was in a sea of humanity of 90,000. I've never been to 
Ben Hill Griffin, but I, I, I will next year. But never been there. I imagine it's kind of the same thing down there. So kind of in short, I do ex- still expect it to be a normal college football atmosphere. It's not going to be an atmosphere where the Florida fans outnumber Missouri or anything close to that. Where do you think uh, the players are mentally, though, as far as playing a game like this? I mean, is this like, hey, first of all, we got to get bowl eligible. Even if we don't go to a bowl, we don't know what's going on with the appeal. Or do you think that – whole thing has kind of weighed on this team and maybe that's why they've been a little uneven this year. I think it's weighed on this entire athletic department, but I'm not sure it's the exact reason as to why the nosedive happened. I mean, Missouri's so it's kind of a bit of a timeline. Missouri's sanctions came out January 31st. The appeal was officially filed March 25th. The NCAA officially heard the appeal in Indianapolis on July 18th. And here we are almost four months later still waiting for any other type of movement. Uh, you thought that Missouri was going to hear back by a deadline of November 26th because that's the last possible day with the holiday weekend and before the actual deadline of when Missouri would have to hear back by because of the conference championship games, you need a seven-day notice from the NCAA whether you can compete or not technically if Missouri was, was good enough to make it. They're obviously still mathematically alive, yeah. but 17 things have to happen for Missouri yeah. to make it, including <laughs> just some ridiculous things. So by all intents and purposes, they're out. But, um, you know, just that, that's what we thought. But I don't think that it truly has affected this team. I, I, I think they want to know. I think there's a bit, something in the back of their head. But to just blame it on the NCAA, I think, is pretty foolish. There's a lot of things that have nothing to do with them. You know, if they got the six wins, maybe that's a better argument to have. But as of right now, I mean, what does the NCAA have to do with you no showing in Nashville? I don't really think it has anything to do with it. If, if, if it was going to be an entire season thing, it would have taken shape against a way better team than Vanderbilt. Eric Blum from the Columbia Daily Tribune. We appreciate his time here on the Duly Noted Podcast. We'll be back with more right after we take this break. Okay, uh, I I also told you I had a couple other stats for you. I, I don't know how great a stat this is, but it's just an interesting stat. I saw this. To me, it's the stat of the week. Because Pittsburgh and, and Cleveland play tonight. The last six Browns coaches have been fired after the Steelers games. It's pretty interesting. And you got to think the round mound of coaching, Freddie Kitchens, is in trouble. And if they lose tonight, that could happen again. It's worth watching that game, right? Like North Carolina Pitt tonight. Yeah, I'll, I'll watch it. It's something to watch. Um, but I'll be out to dinner because it's my birthday. It's your birthday. It's your birthday. It's hard to believe. 65 years old. And you know what? I will say this. I am so blessed to have gotten to 65 and to be around people that I love so much and to have this job. Just want to say that. Thank you very much. And that's it. I'll be, no, I'm just kidding. All right, so that's a stat for you. Here's another stat for you. Notre Dame this week, for the first time in 274 games, will not sell out their game. And they're playing Navy, so it's a great matchup. I had a hard time picking this game, to be honest with you. 273 straight sellouts, and they're saying, look, for some reason this year they've scheduled three November home games and November home games, they always November home games are already a tough sell because it's cold and everything. But this one's not going to be a sellout. 
for the first time two two hundred seventy three straight. So this is two hundred seventy four, and they won't sell it out. Um, I think Nebraska is the only one that has one one longer. And what else is there to do in Nebraska, of course? But uh, there's a lot to do in uh, South Bend, Indiana, right? Um, but I was thinking about this today. If Florida gets a crowd of 77,000, okay, for a game, it's a sellout at Notre Dame. At Missouri, you, you they're on the rocks. They're all on the rocks. The rocks are covered with people because they only seat, I think, 67. And sometimes we look at a Florida crowd, and it's, I think the lowest crowd they've had in a long time was this year was 79 or 78,000. And we're going, eh, yeah, SEC doesn't mean more, I guess, huh? Uh Look at this crowd. How What a terrible crowd. Because it's the empty seats that people look at, not how many people are actually there. You know, if Alabama had a crowd of 78,000, people would wonder if Saban was on the way out because they would have lost a bunch of games to get that few people. But that's the difference. You know, yet sometimes you have that perspective. There's a reason the SEC leads the nation in attendance every year. They have the biggest stadiums. They have, you know... Don't count Vandy. Everything else, they, they've got the biggest stadiums. Obviously, you you know, Baton Rouge is ridiculous. Gainesville still is at 90 for now. Eventually, it'll be down to 80. Uh, you know, Neyland is, what, 107 or something like that. They don't sell it out. But, again, when they, when they have 10,000 empty seats, there's 97,000 people there. It's just a different world we live in here. Uh, here's another stat for you. It's not really a stat. It's an observation. This may be – the worst crowd you'll ever see for a game. Northwestern's playing at home. Yeah, Northwestern. Pat Fitzgerald. They're playing UMass. Yeah, UMass. Walt Bell, the offensive coordinator at Florida State last year who guided them to a 5-7 and seven record. The two teams are a combined 2-17. and 17. They're playing at 11 o'clock in the morning. Northwestern is a 40-point favorite. It's hard to be 1-8 and eight and be a 40-point favorite. I got to w- wonder if that's ever happened in the history of man. A 40-point favorite who has one win at this point in the season. You might have been 1-0. Oh, that's a totally no, different, different story. But can you imagine what that atmosphere is going to be like for that game? So sometimes we have to appreciate what we have. You know, the crowd last week, I talked about it in the other podcast, for a – Noon game against Vanderbilt after a Georgia loss. That was a tremendous crowd. That crowd couldn't fit into Notre Dame Stadium. So sometimes you have to appreciate what you have. All right, let's talk about some spreads. Start out with Florida. That line, this line has kind of changed a little bit. It was eight and a half. And I think it dropped to seven. Um, it's uh, Florida's a favorite. And a lot of it has to do with Missouri. Again, I don't think, I don't, I don't think anybody knows what to make of Missouri. I would, I would bet, I wouldn't bet on the game, but I would bet that this game doesn't get a lot of action because I don't think anybody has any idea what Missouri is going to do. Are they going to play like they do at home? Are they going to play like they do on the road? Are they going to, you know, is Kelly Bryant healthy? It's almost a game you'd have to stay away from. Uh, Alabama. 17 and a half at Mississippi State. Lock of the week. Lock it down. You could, well, Bama, it's a trap game, you know, because they're going to be depressed because they lost this game. Bro, they can still win out and play for the national championship, okay? Do you think that they're not motivated? Mississippi State's terrible. 
They just aren't any good. I will lock that one in. 17 and a half is all you got to give up. Well, that's what I think. Navy is getting seven and a half against Notre Dame. Uh, stay away from this game. Run from it. I would not get anywhere near. I couldn't even figure out who to pick because you know what Navy does. Navy, Navy, next thing you know, you look up and go, hey, that was a good drive Navy had, man. They, they held the ball for a long time and uh, to start the game, and uh, they only kicked the field goal out of it, but they're up 3 nothing. but let's see what Notre Dame can do. What do you mean there's only a minute left in the first quarter? That's what Navy does. So I would never get near that game. Wake Forest is a 34-and-a-half-point underdog to Clemson. Think about that. Wake Forest was ranked last week, right? Before they lost, they got beat badly. Um, was it Vatek that knocked them off? I'm going to get into Vatek next week. I, Virginia Tech is one of the more interesting stories, I think, in college football this year. But they're they're 34-and-a-half-point underdogs. The, last week, going into Saturday's game, and I know this because we were talking to uh, – I would mentioned Will Pantages who left Florida uh, to go to Wake Forest and – wish him nothing but the best one of the best I've ever dealt with and he's going to Wake Forest and he was talking about that that you know they had hopes of going to the Orange Bowl before that happened because Clemson's going to take a spot in the playoff and that would that would put the eighth best second best ACC team in there and now they don't know what they're going to do and they're 34 and a half point underdogs Georgia two and a half point favorite at Auburn and I want to talk about this game for just a minute I believe, and I'm, again, I'm wrong all the time. We all know that. I know. I'm wrong all the time. But I really, truly believe you're going to see what Georgia is in this game. I think Georgia is going to smoke Auburn. How about that? Take Georgia. Give the points. Auburn's got a great defense. Bo Nix, they will eat him up. Georgia will. And eventually Auburn's going to have to give up some points. And with Jake Fromm, they've got a way of, doing things, they'll run the ball. But look, I just think I think Georgia's way better than people think they are because a lot of people don't think they're that good. They think it's a joke that they're fourth in the playoff, and I'll get to that in a minute. But I think Georgia in this game, because everybody's, well, you know, I think Auburn's going to beat them. And then Georgia's going to say, you know, if we win this game, we're going to Atlanta. If we win this game – We've got another quality win to add into the Notre Dame Florida wins. If we win this game, it's going to be you're not going to be able to keep us out of out of the playoffs unless we stumble against A and M, which I don't think they will, or lose. You know, in the even in the SEC championship game, it, they, a close game against LSU, they can still have a chance. So Georgia's got all this motivation. Auburn's got a little bit it's a world's oldest or sec's oldest rivalry but i don't know what if that means anything to anybody it's just a gut feeling i think georgia's going to smoke them and, and now it may end up 28 14 but i think georgia i know a lot of gator fans and look i'm i know what you feel you want georgia to lose because it could open the door for florida florida wins and that's that goes back to the florida missouri game why not make it hard on Georgia? Win that Missouri game. Make it hard on Georgia. Make George Georgia know because Georgia could clinch if Florida loses. They wouldn't have to win the game. Now they it's not it's not gonna matter. They're gonna still play as hard as they can. But with Missouri out of the picture until they get their appeal, and they may have gotten their appeal just five minutes ago for all I know. Do you see what I'm saying there? Make it hard for Georgia. 
Don't make it easy for them. Uh, Kentucky, 10.5 point favorite at Vandy. Mm. I don't know if Kentucky can score 10.5 points. I know they can't score a half point, but Vandy's just so bad. Uh, Iowa is a three-point favorite at home against Minnesota, which uh, Minnesota, of course, right in the mix to play for a national championship, in, in theory. But this is another one of those games. You just beat Penn State. You're really good against Penn State. Now you got to go on the road to Iowa. They're, Iowa's got some really good players. I was looking at a mock draft. They had a couple, two or three guys that were in the first round. They got really good players. They, they you know, they're Iowa. They do what the Iowa things. But um, that's a hard one to pick. Um, LSU, 21 point favorite at Ole Miss. I would think they would. Ole Miss's defense has been pretty good this year. I would imagine LSU will. But I've already given you the lock. I'm not giving you that as a lock. South Carolina's getting 10.5 against AM. And I'm going to get to Will Muschamp in a minute. And Oklahoma, 10 point favorite at Baylor, where game day is going to be. I, I think Oklahoma's going to be okay in that game. But, you know, they lost a couple of guys this week. I certainly would stay away from that game as well. And again, I'm not encouraging you to bet. I'm not discouraging you from that. I'm just saying, here are the lines. Here's what I think the locks are. All right. The, the, before we get to three things, I, I, gosh, I'm going long again. I'm sorry. But I just, I got a lot, of, I wrote down a lot of things I want to talk about. The college football playoff came out Tuesday night, as we know. Um, and I, I told you Georgia was going to be there fourth. I, I, and here's was my thinking was that, if the best part of your resume is a loss, and that's what it is for Alabama, you're not going to be ahead of a team that's got two really good wins. I know the Georgia game, or I'm sorry, Georgia's loss to South Carolina is gets stinkier every day, but it was a tie. They had to go play overtime. In the old days, it would have been a tie. And I think that, again, this goes back to the year LSU won it with two losses because they lost them both in triple overtime. People look at that, I think – if you're on the committee and you go, well, their one loss was in overtime. They've got two great wins. Alabama doesn't have any. And that's the problem for Alabama. And that's why Georgia was ranked ahead. I was not surprised at all. Wasn't really surprised with anything. But I did wonder, if Minnesota changed its name to Alabama, playing the exact same strength of schedule they did, would they be higher? And you know the answer to that. You absolutely know the answer to that. Uh, Will Muschamp got a vote of confidence that wasn't a vote of confidence from his president, Robert Caslin, who said, oh, Will Muschamp's my coach through the end of this year, which will not be much longer because they only have a couple of games left, A&M, and they're probably going to lose that, and they'll probably lose to Clemson at the end of the year really badly, and they're not going to go to a bowl game. I still think he's going to be okay. Um, there's going to be a lot of interesting conversations. But like I've said, I, this reminds me so much of his third year at Florida. This is his fourth year at South Carolina where things just went bad and he couldn't turn it around. He could not right the ship. They beat Georgia, and all of a sudden you were like, wow, that is great for Will Muschamp. Beat him without a quarterback. That's incredible. And again, this you could go back and make that anti-Georgia argument for the playoff and say they lost without a quarterback. They lost to a team that didn't score in the second half. That's that is quite an indictment. But again, I go back to you, they don't have Alabama's lack of quality wins. 
So, um, anyway, we'll see what happens with Will. I wonder if D'Antonio can be in trouble at Michigan State. If they get boat race this year or this week by uh, Michigan, they're 13.5-point underdogs at Michigan. And and as bad as their offense is, I find it hard to believe they're going to stay within 13.5. You know, he's dealing with this controversy over a concussion where he says one thing and the trainers are saying another. He's dealing with having to do a – deposition after the season because of a wrongful termination because of a player that uh, he wanted to bring on and the coaches told him not to. He's a trouble. He's going to do something bad. And he committed a sexual assault or accused of. I don't know where that is, but some kind of sexual assault. And the coach got fired and it's wrongful termination. He's got to – you wonder if they will say, you know what, it's time for us to just clean the house. Just get rid of them and not worry about it. I don't know the dynamics there. So I'm not – I hope I'm not speaking out of turn. I'm just looking from afar, and I wouldn't be stunned if that happened after this year. You know, they've, they've really kind of – they had their heyday, and it's almost like now they can't get it back. That's kind of what Michigan State feels like right now. Like they're not Uncle Rico's. The Uncle Rico's are the guys, the teams that had – they were great, and they should be great every year. And why aren't they great all the time? Why aren't they great? It's 10 years later. Why aren't we great now? Nah, that's not Michigan State. Michigan State's just been this st- slow decline from being really good at one point. Okay, before I get to three things, one more thing. Games that I thought would be big. I started to write. I thought I saw more than this. I thought these games would be big before the season, and they aren't now. And there's two of them that stood out to me. Wisconsin at Nebraska. What happened to those Cornhuskers, man? Weren't they supposed to win their division? We thought Wisconsin at Nebraska, that's where game day is probably going to be. Now game day went there another time and it didn't work out well for them. And Stanford at Washington State, two really disappointing teams this year. You Again, you might say they may go to Pullman. Those two games, uh, if they're on TV and there's nothing else on, yeah. But otherwise, I don't think so. To me, it's like watching a Mac game. All right, let's do three things. It's time for three things. Number one, Chase Young is suspended for one more game. The ultra-talented Ohio State defensive lineman. And then he's back for the two games that matter, Penn State and Michigan. And, of course, everybody's screaming conspiracy theory. And everybody's saying, why can they dissolve this problem and make a decision on this, and they still can't make a decision on Missouri? Well, the way I understand the way the NCAA works, and it doesn't work, but the way it works is not everything is put into the same pile and different people handle different things and different people rule on different things and they're usually ADs from other schools so you never know all that goes into it. It is a, it is a flawed borderline corrupt mess as we all know. I'm not saying anything out of school. So it goes back to the same thing I've talked about before and that is that college football needs a commissioner and they need to follow the NFL's rule. Not the NFL rules, but the NFL's rule, which is, all right, the commissioner is going to make a decision. He's got really smart people around him and really smart people who are in charge of different things, 
whether it's competition committee, scheduling, all these things. And he brings them into a room, and, and they, they talk to the guy who did this and that and the other, and they solve the problem, and they make a decision. It's not always the right decision, but it's a decision. You don't have to wait around for it. I mean, Chase Young, the Chase Young thing should have happened uh, last week. Okay, so he suspended for two games. Coincidentally, they're two easiest games, but this is why we need a commissioner or some kind of person in charge. Mark Emmert's not in charge of the NCAA. Come on. You're, you're out of your mind if you think that's true. All right, number two, the NFL getting closer, it, it sounds like, to changing to 17 games. Now, they wanted the, the NFL – itself and the owners wanted to go to 18 the nflpa of course says look i know you don't care about player safety can you pretend to care about player safety and we want if we're going to play 18 games we want to get 18 games worth of salary so you're going to have to up salaries and and, and make the uh, salary cap bigger and the nfl came back and said nah that's okay how about 17 personally i don't care whether they play 16 or 17 or 15 you know, whatever they play is fine. But obviously, the problem is these preseason games that people have to pay for. And they're going to – I feel like in, in two years, they're going to get cut. I think they will end up at 17 games and uh, maybe start the season earlier so you can work extra buys in for everybody and, and help player safety. It seems like a simple solution. Start the season the week before college football. Start the season – the week of college football. I don't think it really matters that college football has a stage to itself the first week of the year. Now, they didn't even like that enough this year. They had to go play another game earlier. But who cares? Sunday, the NFL comes on. You watch the NFL. Don't play a Thursday game if you want to help college football. But you really, they don't care about college football. Why, why do they even care? I know it's TV generated. But here's the thing you have to realize. The reason that they have to go to 17 games if you're an NFL owner or the NFL is because of revenue and you've got to give give you've got to generate money and so if you're going to cut preseason games which everybody agrees needs to happen you can't just cut preseason games you've got to add something somewhere else and we'll see what happens there i think it's pretty interesting number 3 it, this was all over twitter of course on tuesday night when Kentucky lost to Evansville, they were huge underdogs, Evansville, coached by uh, Walter McCarty, the former Kentucky player. Huge win for them. Huge, not a huge loss for Kentucky. But the the main theme on Twitter, at least in, in our area, was, see, these things happen in November. Calm down, Gator fans. They had a bad game. I know you don't like losing FSU. We talked about this before. But these things happen. These things happen with young players especially. But, you know, Kentucky beat Michigan State. How come their young guys can play? Well, they don't play every game. They don't always show up for every game. They're not mentally tough yet. These things happen. It's going to be fine. We'll see what happens the rest of the year. It's going to be fine. All right, that's going to do it for another Duly Noted podcast that went way over. I think we're in the 53-minute area. That's okay because it's the Internet. There's unlimited space, right? I appreciate all you guys for clicking on. Thanks so much to Eric Blum for coming on and talking uh, some Missouri football. So we'll be back again Tuesday, one podcast next week. 
And uh, I'm not sure who the guest is going to be. We'll figure that out later. Until next time, I am Pat Dooley. I'm the sports columnist for the Gainesville Sun. And I am deep way back. And I am out of here. The Duly Noted Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's. Satisfy your craving for hand-breaded chicken and fresh-made salads. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or order online at zaxby's.com forward slash podcast. And by Vistar Credit Union with locations across Gator Country. Visit vistarcu.org and also ABC Fine Wine and Spirits. ABC, always be celebrating.